Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. Once the gospel of Christ emerged from Judea, it quickly spread into the continent of Europe. The great cities of the day became the stage from which the Lord Jesus, through primarily the Apostle Paul and his co-workers, presented the all-inclusive Christ in resurrection. But at each new place, fierce opposition soon arose, and the opposer's keen ability to twist and distort the message of life in Christ was a continual frustration to the brothers. The story is immensely interesting, but the lessons for us are the real value. Stay with us today for another revealing Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. Watchman Nee was a brilliant and promising young student in mainland China, when the Lord Jesus called him in 1920. A marvelous and prevailing move of the Lord soon followed, and a decade later, another young Chinese believer named Witness Lee joined him in the ministry, preaching the gospel and establishing New Testament churches throughout China. The eventual imprisonment of Watchmany by the communists in 1952 led to this ministry being brought to the West, and in 1974, Witness Lee began the life study of the Bible, We have recorded portions of that ministry today from the Book of Acts, and we also have Ron Kangas with us as we take a look at one of the more interesting and revealing chapters in Acts. Welcome back, Ron. It's good to have you today. Thanks for asking me to be here. Ron, these chapters in the middle of Acts are very interesting. It's a part of the Bible that almost reads like an exciting and interesting novel. But beyond the interesting stories we're really seeing the sovereign God in his divine plan orchestrating the propagation of the resurrected Christ, aren't we? Uh, We need to have this view as we're reading these chapters in Acts. Let's remember that Acts opens with the ascension of the resurrected Christ. From that point on, Christ is now in the heavens, carrying out his heavenly ministry, He is the Christ who said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore disciple the nations. He is the administrator, according to the book of Revelation. He's our shepherd. He's the high priest. So there is a reason that we call him Lord, and we call his name Lord Jesus, and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. This Lord governed and directed all of Paul's activities and moves in carrying out his ministry. It was the Lord who commissioned him. It was the Lord who was supplying him. And it was the sovereign Lord who was arranging every situation for the increase and spread of the Word of God. 
We're going to see some of the lessons learned by Paul and the other co-workers in Acts unveiled to us today, Ron. So let's join Witness Lee with this first portion of the life study. Paul, of course, he was a person fully constituted with the Holy Spirit. And he is fully constituted with the Spirit of Jesus. So when he came out to preach, surely he preached such a Jesus Christ. You see, what kind of work you will do? It all depends upon by what spirit you are guided, what spirit you have been constituted with. In chapter 16, Paul went to Macedonia and he arrived at Philippi. Then after their stay in Philippi, I believe mainly due to the opposition of the Jews, the apostle uh, went down to Thessalonica. He went to the synagogue on three Sabbaths. I like to read verses 2 and 3 to you. And according to Paul's custom, see, this became his custom that he went in to them, to the synagogues. And on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Concerning what? Concerning genealogy, concerning history, concerning theology, concerning the law of Moses, and concerning prophecy. So you have all these subjects in the Old Testament. Paul didn't do that. Paul did what? Listen. Reasoning with them from the scriptures, comma. The sentence not stopped it. Opening and setting before them that the Christ, the Christ, must suffer and rise from among the dead and saying, this is the Christ, Jesus, whom I announce to you. Paul was constituted with the Spirit of Jesus. He was led. He was guided. He was directed by this Spirit. He only had one burden according to his spiritual constitution. The all-inclusive Jesus. So many rabbis studying the Old Testament, none of them saw Jesus. But when the Old Testament came into the hand of Paul, nearly every page, Jesus is there. Try to study the Bible in this way and try to minister some divine things in this way. In my Christian life, I saw too many reasonings, debates, about the so-called biblical truths. But I never saw one reasoning for the all-inclusive Christ based upon not only the New Testament, but also the Old Testament, as Paul did. I am pretty sure he reasoned about Christ being God. Well, Ron, we see Paul once again in a synagogue with mostly a Jewish audience. He's reasoning with them, but not concerning their custom or the law of Moses or even concerning miracles, but really focusing on one thing, the Christ. Witness Lee says that his ability to unveil the resurrected Christ to them from the Old Testament scriptures was primarily due to Paul's spiritual constitution. What is this term, spiritual constitution? And what does it really mean? Not long after 
Paul met the Lord and was dynamically saved and regenerated, he began to proclaim this wonderful person. And if we go back to reread Acts chapter 9, Paul would go into the synagogues and say, This one, this Jesus, is the Christ. And then he would also say, This one, Jesus, is the Son of God. So regarding Constitution, especially as it relates to Paul, we would point out two basic factors. The first was the positive aspect of his growing up by being immersed in what we call the Old Testament, the Scriptures, of studying the Old Testament Scriptures, the Law, the Prophets, being filled, even saturated with them. Admittedly, Paul had a certain governing concept, but nevertheless, so much of the Word was in him. Then the other factor concerns something obviously more crucial and more intrinsic, that is, he received into him Christ himself as the life-giving Spirit. From Galatians we read, This Christ was revealed in him, this Christ lived in him, this Christ was formed in him. Later, Paul would testify, this Christ is making home in him. He would write that this Christ is all and in all. He's our constituent. And this Christ operated in Paul by applying to him, through the Spirit, the effectiveness of his death and the power of his resurrection to bring Paul's God-created ability and his learning through death into resurrection so that they would be truly useful to him in ministry. So Paul here is a constitution of the word of God he had absorbed and of Christ himself wrought into his being. And Paul had a new way of reading the Old Testament. He would see Christ where Christ truly was. Please remember that in Luke 24, Paul opened the minds of the disciples that they would understand the Scriptures, and he pointed out to them the things in the Scriptures concerning himself. So now Paul was able to see, who knows to what extent, so many things in the Old Testament Scriptures, in types, in prophecies, in figures, in symbols that were all pointing to Christ. You put this all together with the crucified and resurrected Christ as the Spirit operating in Paul, and you have one wonderful, constituted servant of Christ. Well, Ron, we've got two more sections before us today. Let's get back to Witness Lee for section number two. Verse six. But the Jews, becoming jealous, and taking along some evil men who were loafers in the marketplace, gathered a crowd and set the city in an uproar, and coming up to the house of Jason, they sought to bring them before the public. And when they did not find them, to drag the Jesus and some brothers before the officials, shouting, 
These men who have upset the world have come here also, whom Jason has welcomed, and these all act contrary to decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Probably they did say this. <laughs> so <laughs> they took such a word of the apostle accuse and to infer that further even to get Caesar involved. This is subtle. The opposers always do the same thing. This is their ability. I think this is the training they received from the evil instigator. The subtlety has been always to join themselves with the local politics. They lacked to utilize the politics to uh, persecute the apostles, and this shows the so-called Jewish religion has been so much usurped by God's enemy Satan to oppose God's economy. You have to realize the principle still exists today. Religion joins the worldly authority to frustrate God's genuine move on this earth today. Then the next station was that they went to Berea. And here I like this word. Now, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They were noble. These people in Berea, they were wise. They were noble, they were wise in what? In receiving the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And you must realize these people were mostly still Jews. But when the Jews from Thessalonica knew that the word of God had been announced by Paul to Berea, also they came there as well, agitating and troubling the crowds. I think they became professionals. They didn't care for the job. They followed the apostles. To oppose God's economy became their profession. Once again, Paul's preaching was very effective, gaining both Jews and Greeks. But the religious leaders just couldn't take it, and they stirred up all kinds of trouble, even hiring, it says, loafers from the marketplace. I think one translation refers to them as lewd fellows of the baser sort. We see them following Paul all the way to Berea and continuing this opposition. Is this kind of opposition to God's ministers, Ron, unique to the situation, or does it still exist even today? And why would such evil opposition be initiated at the hands of religious ones? Well, let's remember that Paul himself, when he was governed by religion, and the satanic power behind it, Paul himself took the lead to persecute, to oppose, even unto death. So we may rightly infer that he was not at all surprised to be receiving the kind of treatment he once gave to others. He was not surprised. The Lord Jesus, in the Gospel of John, made it very clear 
that the religious world, which hated him, would oppose us. In the Gospels, in Matthew, for instance, he said if they called the master of the house, the Lord, Beelzebub, how much more they of his household? Well, the ones using these designations were the religionists. The reason for the opposition is that the subtle enemy, Satan, will use whatever means he can, whatever human vessels are available, to oppose and attack the Lord and his present move. The Lord said, to refer to John again, some will think that if they kill you, they're serving God. Throughout history, for more than 1,900 years, this has been the situation. The Lord moves on in a way that the religious system, especially those in power, do not receive, they do not agree with, and so they persecute, sometimes even unto death. We should expect this. Now, we in no way are feeling sorry for ourselves or considering ourselves martyrs, but I have been with this ministry for more than 50 years, and especially in the last 43 years, there has been an ongoing attack, an unreasonable, even irrational attack, mainly from religious people, lying, misrepresenting, doing all kinds of things. We need to realize, as the Lord made clear in Matthew 16, that when any one of us is in the self, in our natural life, Satan is there to express himself through us. None of us is an exception to this. That's why we must honor the Lord's word to deny the self, take up the cross, and follow the Lord. Paul, who once persecuted the followers of the Lord and the Lord himself, lived this kind of life. The religionists who were in the self and who were motivated without their awareness by Satan opposed the very move of God. Actually, a wise rabbi among them, Gamaliel, cautioned the religionists in Acts chapter 5, be careful about these men. There were others who claimed to be somebody and had followers, and they died and nothing happened of their movement. But it may be different with these men. If you oppose them, you will be opposing God. So this has been going on for 2,000 years, and it will continue until the Lord comes back. This is just part of the burden we bear to faithfully proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the glory of Christ, and to minister the truths of God's New Testament economy to any who are willing to be open to reconsider the word and to seek the Lord for his light. Well, due to the environment and the opposition and the things that were taking place, Paul now leaves Berea and journeys forward into a new city, quite a city, the city of Athens. This is an interesting portion. Let's rejoin Witness Lee. Due to this opposition, the apostles 
went down southward to Athens, and those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they went off. Then in Athens, Paul, while he was waiting for Silas and Timothy, his spirit was provoked as he beheld that the city was full of idols. You know, in history, Athens was the most cultural city. Regardless how high a culture you are in, the idol worship still might be prevailing there. Why? Because in every human being, there is a God-seeking and worshiping spirit. Whether you seek after the right God, or you worship the wrong God, that's another thing. But anyhow, as long as people are seeking for some uh, worship object, this is strong proof that God is man's need, especially man's spirit, full of idols. And then he was reasoning, therefore, in the synagogue with the Jews. And those who worshipped, I believe these are the worshipping Greeks, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Two places, the synagogue for the Jews, marketplace for the Greeks. Okay, among the Greeks, some are the Epicureans and Stoic. These are the uh, philosophical schools. They were confronting Paul. And some were saying, what does this babbler want to say? And others, he seemed to be an announcer of strange demons. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> because he was bringing good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Again, I say, this kind of a preaching is a strong proof that the preacher's constitution is of Jesus and of his resurrection. Paul was constituted with this all-inclusive Jesus and with his resurrection. So what he had was just the spirit of Jesus. He was such a person, so he preached such a person. Ron, the Lord in his divine economy even used the persecution of the opposers to spread his word through the gospel. Now we see Paul coming to this fourth major European city on his journey, the city of Athens. Of course, this is a famous city then as it is now. Paul just can't stop himself here. He has to speak. He's been provoked when he sees all the idols that are adorning this beautiful city everywhere. We're going to look at his message particularly in the next program Uh, But today, maybe you could comment on what the presence of these idols and the statutes in such a cultured environment seems to indicate about man's inward condition and need, regardless of the level of his education and refinement. It is common knowledge that Athens, for centuries, was the cultural center. So for Paul to be there is to be in the very heart of Greek culture, with its literature, with its philosophy. Even he made reference to various philosophers. 
But as he, you could say, made a walking tour of the city, he noticed the idols, the gists, the widespread idolatry, and anticipating what will be covered perhaps in a following program, he noted that one of these altars was designated or dedicated to an unknown god. So it seems that the juxtaposition in Athens of such a high, sophisticated, philosophical, and literary culture with such widespread idolatry with altar upon altar erected to this so-called God and that so-called God. And then, to be sure, none is neglected to an unknown God. If there's someone we don't know, we'll include you. Paul recognized in his spirit that deeper than the culture, because there's a spirit in human beings created by God for God, There is an emptiness there, there's a seeking there, there's a need there for something that cannot be fulfilled by philosophy or literature or culture. So that motivated Paul in a particular way to speak concerning Jesus and the resurrection, speaking Jesus, the God-man, God becoming flesh to be our Redeemer and resurrection to directly confront the widespread Greek teaching in the immortality of the soul apart from the body. So that was a jolt and a shock to them. But Paul was faithful to the Lord and true to his constitution when he was provoked in his spirit by the idols, by the altars. He did what he knew he had to do announce Jesus and resurrection as the gospel. Ron, we've seen a picture of the Apostle Paul, how he was uniquely the right one for this task in God's economy and God's move on the earth at that specific time. Because he had the combination of training in the Jewish culture, in Roman politics, and of course, in his high education in Jewish religion. But as we've touched earlier, uh, his most important qualification was the spiritual constitution. And that's really the pattern we all, I think, inwardly want to emulate and duplicate. Ron, thanks for your fellowship today. Uh, This concludes another life study from the Book of Acts. And I hope you'll stay with us for the coming programs as we stay in this line. And there's so much here that is just coming to light, I think, for most of us uh, for the first time. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Weil. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. We have these recorded studies on every book of the Bible, available to you online, free of charge. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. You can download the MP3 files, stream them live, or add them to your podcast subscriptions, all at no charge. Once more, the website, lsmradio.com. To contact us, send email to radio at lsm.org. 
or call us at one triple eight life study. That's eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. Thanks for listening today.